This is Hashtag Authentic, a podcast for creatives online. I'm Sarah Tasker and this is episode 92. Hello, lovely humans. How are you all doing? So my guest today is the so awesome, so wonderful Marissa Fernandez, also known as Marissa Maid over on the gram. Marissa describes herself as a knitter, a sewer, a lover of slow fashion journeys and an accessible creative coach. And some of you might already have seen that I've highlighted her, I think it was last month in my email newsletter in the creator spotlight section. So I was really excited to have this conversation with her and it was pure delight to speak with her. We go deep into her creative and professional journey and I get to ask all the nosy questions I always love to ask everybody. And then we discuss how following her interests and showing up online as a whole person with all different facets to her being has really helped Marissa finally find that elusive group of right people. Also, she uses Patreon for part of her business model, and I was really curious to find out how she finds using that and what role it plays within her work. I have to say, some of the wisdom Marissa shares in this episode is just golden. It is an absolute must-listen for anyone who is struggling with creative confidence, maybe is unsure about what they should be sharing on their social media, or maybe if you're just someone who struggles to sell your work online, you will get lots out of what Marissa has to say. Okay, let's dive in. Hi, Marissa. Welcome to Hashtag Authentic. Hi, thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be talking to you today. I have like so many things I want to ask you about. But first of all, could you start off by introducing yourself and what you do? Sure. I am Marissa Fernandez, and I'm a knitter, sewist, lover of slow fashion journeys. Um, but I also am an accessible creative coach. So I offer um, creative empowerment for makers and artists of all kinds through my maker affirmations and through my creative writing. And tell me a little bit about how that journey has evolved, because I've kind of watched some of it unfold on Instagram, but I'm interested to hear the behind the scenes. Oh, my gosh. So <laughs> but I think it would all, if we rewind all the way back, I would say it all starts with maker affirmations and it starts in like this really terrible place <laughs> in that I was having a, this huge creative slump. Uh, I think we just kind of all go on this like roller coaster of where our creativity is at. And at that time I was, I just needed like somebody to tell me like, you can do this, you can get through this, your creativity is valid, it's worthy, all of those things. And I just kind of looked around and was like, well, I could just do that for myself. Because <laughs> <laughs> you know exactly what you need to hear. Right. And it was like my favorite part of talking to other creatives was that moment of them feeling like, oh, I'm so glad I talked to you about this. That moment right there was like what I wanted for myself. Decided to start writing myself these little letters where I was basically my own hype man. <laughs> and I was you could do this. <laughs> Love that. <laughs> and then slowly but surely, it evolved into these like really long creative writing style essays that um, after I kind of sat with them for a while, and then I was part of the Insta retreat, I realized I should maybe be sharing these with other people. Because <laughs> yeah, if they're valuable to you, chances are. 
right. I was like, well, if I'm going through this, other people have to be going through this too. I can't be this anomaly in the creative world. What was the response when you when you did that? Oh, it was amazing. I think that everybody is kind of looking for someone in their lives to like tell them that what I'm doing is worthy of my time. And you try to be that person for yourself, but sometimes you just need that outside virtual friend mm-hmm. that says like, it's okay, you can do this. So what was the response when you started to put that online? I think it was pretty amazing. I, I think that I've always had a pretty engaged audience on Instagram. And the the moment that I started releasing those maker affirmations, it was almost like, a, I don't know, like my people found me. <laughs> they, they, I didn't know that they were looking for me, but they came and they found me. Um, and just like so many comments in where I learned something new from them, from an insight that they take from my maker affirmations that then makes me dig deeper. It's just this really beautiful feedback cycle, you know? Yes. And that's like one of the things when people think they want to outsource their Instagram, like maybe pay someone else to do it. And I'm always telling them no, because you miss that, like that, if you want to call it market research or if it's just like making friends and having community, but it is such a rich place to kind of feed your own creativity. I totally agree. I think that that connection is such an important part of being a creative because a lot of times you're kind of working in this little bubble by yourself Mm. because we can do things that are really unique and special to us, but you still need that connection with somebody else who like sees it and gets it. You know, why do you think that is? Why is it as creatives we question ourselves so much? I think that we've been told as a society for such a long time that creativity isn't profitable mm. or isn't, you know, worthy of your time or at not as worthy of your time, but not as worthy as all of these other pursuits. Like I can, I can explain, <laughs> I love my parents and they're going to hate me for saying this, <laughs> but <laughs> I can explicitly remember getting ready to go to college, um, and filling out college applications. And my parents telling me like, you can go and select any major except for one based in the arts. It's mm, so common though. It's so common. Right. Because they just, assume that that doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to be, I don't know, not that it's not worthy, but they just want you to be as successful as possible. And creativity isn't necessarily seen as successful. Yeah. Well, like the people who love us want us to be financially stable and secure and the starving artist kind of image prevails still. Right. And they're also operating from this vantage point of where they didn't have social media they didn't have the connection that artists and creatives and makers have now with their personal audiences Mm. so I think that also kind of colors it and distorts it um but yeah I just I think that we're moving into this sphere where creativity is more valued I think than anything else because we have so many people putting out images of themselves or their lives or whatever creatively online and that's kind of the standard by which we measure people now is their creativity yeah it's like the online currency that we we all trade in and what fascinates me about that as well is when we talk about kind of the future of industry and like 
AI and how so many jobs are going to be replaced with technology, creativity, you can't, like, we have not made computers that can replicate creativity. Right. That Because I feel like that creativity is the uniqueness that makes you human. Mm. Because even if you don't, like, identify as a creative, I know so many people, I just had a conversation with somebody, like, 10 minutes ago, that they don't identify as a creative, but yet they cook and make all of these amazing things, but they couldn't possibly identify themselves as a creative, even though they can do things on a plate that I could never, never accomplish. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Yeah. I think a lot of us learn in school, like creative means crafting, painting, mm. possibly yes. sewing and knitting. That is it. Like if you don't do those things, you can't use that word. Right. And I even, and I even feel like it goes beyond that. Like a lot of people will take this step to call themselves a creative, but they won't take the step to call themselves an artist. Yeah. So they, they draw this fine line. I find this a lot as a knitter and a sewist in those specific communities that because it's crafting or making, they don't feel like that's necessarily the same as someone who is a fine artist painter. And I'm like, well, you're still making something out of nothing with your hands. So if that's not art, I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> and because it's um, like it's an arbitrary distinction of who decides it's worthy or who decides it's good enough. Like that that is an impossible standard to ever chase. Absolutely. Right. Like, I don't think if you talk to a coder, I feel like when they code stuff yes. on the back end of a computer, they probably feel like that's art to them because that's yes. something that my brain is never going to understand. So true. And it can be beautiful and in ways that the wrong people will just never understand. Yes. it's. I think it's just all about finding the audience that resonates with whatever it is that is your art. Which is why Instagram is the perfect place for makers and creatives and artists, why I love it so much for this community of ours. But it is also kind of a microcosm of the problems and the struggles we have as creators. Like they seem to come up on Instagram in the same way they come up for us in, in real life. Do you find that? I absolutely find that. <laughs> it's, it's really funny that how I can about like imposter syndrome on my feed and then it's like almost immediately the next day I'm like oh my gosh I should not have posted that I am not worthy <laughs> it's almost immediate it's kind of this little bubble in which you're kind of consistently challenged um specifically for me as I'm putting all these views out there to really uphold them as values in my life yeah um, yeah and I'm not always up to the task. <laughs> well, no, because no one is, right? That's the thing. Like, we can, I teach Instagram, but I don't always do everything I teach everyone to do on Instagram because there are times in our lives when we're doing the things that we want to do. And there are times in our lives when we're just about getting by and making sure the kids are fed. Oh, yes. Girl. <laughs> Virtual school. Yes. Oh, goodness, yeah. <laughs> and, and the added problem, but also kind of magic of Instagram is that you're being watched. And so I think it kind of turns the volume up on certain things because you have that dilemma of like, how do I value my work regardless of how everyone else values it? Like, even if it doesn't perform well on likes, I wonder, like, have you found, how have you found the balance between kind of making content that you know people want to see, which I know like you do so well, but still making sure that you're able to be yourself and not be blown off path? Um, I really try to, so I've gone through this whole, 
reinvention of myself on Instagram and I say the past year where I decided that if I was going to continue posting on Instagram, I wanted to post as myself, as a whole person, um, because I got into this very niched place where mm. I was only posting like knitting content and occasionally some sewing content, but I wasn't, I don't know, I wasn't being my full self. Yeah. I think I, I like to joke around a lot. I like to, I like to quote weird songs. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just a whole, I'm a whole human. We're all whole humans, yes. right? And I wasn't, I wasn't showing that, I think, to the Instagram community. And once that happened, it didn't necessarily become for me about likes or comments or whatever. I was just living my life. And whether they wanted to participate that day or not in my life, they could, you can opt in or opt out. Right. But either way, like my life is my life. Like it's not any less valid because of that. And I think that that's kind of changed my framework of how I view. Yeah. And I would imagine like change the amount of joy and freedom you feel in using the app. Oh my gosh. It's been life changing. Cause I think I felt really, really boxed in. Mm. And I, I think I still struggle. We probably all struggle with that a little bit that you're like, well, are they going to like this? <laughs> sure. That's the, the eternal struggle of probably all creatives. Right. But I totally, I don't know if you remember, there was a bit in the right at the start of the, the retreat where I talk about this and kind of like, you need an account that has space for all of who you are. Because it is very easy. Like you find something that works. You think, oh, just keep doing that. And at first it's fun and it's easy and it works. And then a year down the line, you're like, oh my gosh, I don't want to ever post another one of those things. Right. And you feel like there's no space for all the other parts of you. And like we change and our audiences change and our interests change. And it sounds like if you hadn't given yourself permission to be all of the different facets of who you are, you wouldn't have stumbled across these like maker affirmations and giving yourself a place to share that too. Absolutely. I think that, so actually I revisited the Insta retreat and then that's when I was like, okay, we have to make a change. (laughs) (laughs) It totally helped. Um, Because I just, uh, as I kept feeling more and more boxed in by what my content was, or I was like, oh, they only like pictures, which is a, it's a good problem to have, but they only like pictures where I show my face. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I just realized that, like everyone, my creativity is just multi-pronged. It's multifaceted. So to kind of box it into this one small package didn't feel authentic to me. And uh, I wanted to be as authentic as possible to my followers because I felt like if I was telling them to be as real as they could be and showing up in their art, I owed them that same accountability back. Yeah, or else then you do feel like an imposter syndrome because you kind of are an imposter in a very mild sense. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. I wonder as well, like, were there any parts of you that you felt more trepidation about sharing? Like, you're really good at talking on video. Did that come naturally? That did not. That did not. That was actually an onset of me um, just responding to a lot of the uh, racial um, racial disparities that mm. are are happening and have been happening in the United States 
and then and just across the world in addition to that. Um, so that started with me just needing to cathartically get it out. <laughs> yeah. And once that happened, I it's really funny because y- you are always kind of blinded, um, blind to your own privileges. And so once I started making those videos and where I was kind of just, I don't know, word vomiting <laughs> about <laughs> how I felt, um, I realized that I had kind of been uh, leaving out a whole subsection of my followers that were our well, not leaving them out, but I could have better included them because I have a lot of followers that are blind that if they could actually hear me, mm. it would have been better. I have followers who are from the deaf or, um, deaf or HOH community that actually being able to read my lips and see my emotions um, was a better way for me to communicate with them. Yeah, and then people using screen readers who need to be able to use things like alternative text and captions. Exactly. It just kind of, the video helped me to kind of really make my content more accessible for a larger community, especially when I was speaking about privilege. It felt like, oh, this is a neat, this is a change that I need to make in order to make sure that I'm acknowledging my own privileges too. It's a really important point and it's something I think a lot of us forget it's very easy to forget and um, especially with our own convenience kind of overriding it so I think I'm really glad that you mentioned that how how did it feel like so you said that you felt very compelled to share your kind of your views on on the situations going on and the racial tensions and then you've kind of gone on to it feels like some sort of anti-racism education I don't know if that feels like a label (laughs) you want to take on uh it's a strong one but I'll take it for now (laughs) (laughs) um yeah it has been simultaneously very uncomfortable um and very vulnerable Mm. uh but I also think a very worthy journey um as my I'm happily married to my husband of 10 years and uh he can attest to the fact that every time I have posted one of those videos I just like retreat into my hidey hole (laughs) (laughs) because it just feels very raw um, to share things um, with the whole internet (laughs) that are things that I've experienced you know my entire life like um, dealing with issues like how do I talk to my children about how they interact with the police force um, on a day-to-day basis Um, I guess I should preface that by saying um, I identify as an Afro-Latina woman. So that means that I'm a Puerto Rican woman who physically presents as black. So my children, um, for outwards appearances, they appear biracial. So I consistently have like this conversation with my 10-year-old son about what his interactions with the police should be how to keep himself safe, how to make sure that if he is with someone who is of the same skin color as him or darker, how he can help keep that person safe. And that's kind of where this whole conversation started is, to be honest, it came kind of from a place of frustration and anger that I was just upset that I was having these conversations with my children and other people didn't have to. Yeah. Well, yeah, as the mum of a little white girl, that's not something I've ever had to consider. Right. Right. So I and I felt like, wouldn't it be great 
if we just all, all as parents started from our homes and said, we're going to all have this same conversation. We're just going to talk about the fact that your friend is black or your friend mm. is brown and maybe you standing up for them could potentially save their life one day by you just being situationally aware of the differences in living your life versus them living theirs. And I think it, there's a really easy way to do it, like with children, just saying, hey, if somebody is treating someone else differently and you notice it, you should stand up for them, you know? And I think when people realize that you need your children to see color in order to also see privilege, it kind of changes changes the whole framework of how you view talking to kids about racism. Yeah, I did an episode with Nova Reed and she shared some statistics around like, I think a lot of people still think colorblind society is the ultimate goal, that idea yeah. that like, oh, I just don't see color. But given all of the systemic racism that still exists, actually, we need to see color in order to be kind of proactive in taking taking those steps. Yeah, that was such an excellent episode. I just loved everything she had to share. She's wonderful. Yeah, and I will, I'll make sure I'll link to that for anyone who's not already heard it so they can go and check her out too. One thing that she said as well that I was thinking about when you talked about how vulnerable it feels is like she doesn't expect to be doing the work she does for, for a long time because it is so emotionally draining and kind of almost traumatic to kind of revisit that pain and put it out to the world. Has it been safely received by your audience? um (laughs) (laughs) yeah yes um in some ways yes in some ways it's very encouraging um the amount of people that will leave a comment or privately send me a dm that say you know i'm so glad that you shared this this has changed my viewpoint or it's at least opened my eyes up to do further research or you're you've pushed me beyond inaction to action right that is my biggest thing is I want people to move beyond the listening and the learning diatribe. Mm -hmm. I would like for them to move to the doing. Right. Um, So that, that has been amazing to see and feel and know that in a space where I felt like I couldn't necessarily share about that because people wouldn't want to hear it and would think I was being political by saying it, um, that that was received well. But then on the opposite end, I also had to close my Instagram story replies Mm -hmm. because just the amount of um, content that was coming through there was just not something that I could deal with on a daily basis. Um, Even if it wasn't meant, some of those, some of the DMs were not necessarily meant in a, in a harmful way. But they can end up being harmful and traumatic over time as you're listening to more and more people um, trying to sort through something that they haven't really ever noticed in their lives. And as that continues to like pile on, pile on, pile on, you're like, this is my life, guys. Like, (laughs) yeah, yeah. (laughs) Um, So I did that for my safety, but yeah, like in healthy boundaries. And I guess there's no Mm. easy solution to that, but. I wish I had one to give you. (laughs) I wish I could. Well, I think it's fine because I think now what happens is instead, and I mean, that's not the solution for everybody. And I'm totally about all the connection on Instagram, but this was a good way for me to set a boundary. And so you have to do a little more work to DM me 
but the people that are willing to do a little more work to DM me are the people that I want to interact with in my DMs regardless. So yeah. it works out. I quite like that, actually. There's a, there's space for that in lots of areas, I think, of, of our lives. Like, make it mm. a little bit harder and then you kind of filter out the people who aren't truly committed. Exactly, exactly. So I know that one of the things you've set up more recently is a Patreon. And mm. I don't think I've ever talked to anyone on the podcast who has a Patreon. But is the anti-racism work kind of staying on Instagram or are you spreading that across both of those platforms? I'm keeping the anti-racism work on Instagram because I would like it to be accessible to the largest community possible. I don't want there to be a financial barrier for anyone yeah. to to get to that information. Um, and also, it is very sporadic. <laughs> it's kind of when you're moved to do it, I suppose. Uh-huh. I'm sure that there'll be another one um, on Breonna Taylor yeah. here shortly. Yeah, well, we're recording this kind of the day after the charges were announced aren't we yes yes so I I I kind of allow myself to be moved accordingly and to not make the anti-racism work my main focus but I I want to leave it open so that I'm hopeful that anyone who comes to my account can see that there's a clear record of it existing and that they should expect it to continue Yeah. And I think there's so much power in the fact that like someone can come and connect with you first, purely like on the creative side of things, which maybe feels more accessible and then dive deeper once they feel like they have that relationship with you. Like I, I can see that would be very powerful for a lot of people who are kind of maybe more new to this work. Right. I think when you put a face and a personality um, and it's not just this mythical unicorn person that's having you know racism perpetuated against them when you go oh marissa's having racism perpetuated against her i know her i like her a lot why would they do that to her (laughs) i think it really they just need it to be humanized yeah which it shouldn't take like it shouldn't take but i think you and i probably share the view that like it's all about what's effective and what's going to actually create real change and that's where that's always where I try and pour my energy into with everything exactly that's exactly right so talk more about the patreon how have you found setting that up how have you found marketing it is it going well um it is going well I'm really excited about it um I really went out on a limb with it because I was like I don't this might be a terrible idea (laughs) (laughs) why why would it have been a terrible idea I don't know. I just, you know, it was that first um, first step in doing something that felt like I'm creating a little small business for myself. Yeah. And I definitely had that initial doubt, like, you might be doing something that's never going to get off the ground. Right. And I remember you posting and saying, like, it, it was about valuing your work to charge for it and yeah. kind of the next level of that. Right. And so, so I felt like I was in this interesting place where a lot of my community um, has a lower income level because a lot of um, a lot of us are um, BIPOC women so they just generally generationally we have lower incomes Mm -hmm. and so I wanted to make like this creative coaching space where I valued myself I valued all this work that I was putting in and putting out on Instagram But I also wanted them to have a way to value themselves and say, like, I'm worth 
paying something to get more out of this so I can continue in my own creativity. So Patreon was kind of the perfect way for me to set up those tiers to allow people to kind of buy in in whatever was fiscally responsible for them. Yeah, that is, it's such a tricky thing to navigate and balance, isn't it? Because mm-hmm. while you want it to be accessible, there is some power in just that act of investing in yourself and investing in your creativity. And yeah. I really found like when you've paid for something, I'm talking about myself here, I'm much more likely to make myself like log in and do the activities or like Uh you know do the things even when it feels uncomfortable I'm like I've committed to this I'm going to follow it through whereas when it's free it's very easy to go oh okay well that bit's a bit hard so I'll just leave it yes absolutely and I think I find that they're more the more engaged and the more willing to ask me harder questions that they wouldn't necessarily feel comfortable putting out on Instagram because on Instagram um, I have a community of 16,000 now. And so they're very well aware that there's a community of 16,000 people out there with eyes on the, on my content. And they don't want to necessarily ask the question that they feel like somebody is going to come for them for. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Because it's all so vulnerable. Yeah. And so Patreon kind of gives them this like little safe bubble where they can feel like, okay, everyone is here for the same purpose. So if I ask these questions, I know in the manner in which it's going to be received. So for people kind of listening who have not dabbled with Patreon yet, what what kind of content are you putting up there versus on Instagram? Like, how are you structuring that? Sure. So I have tiers all the way from $2 up to $20. And the I essentially do like two blog posts currently a week um, in which... I kind of take a topic that we have decided to do for the month. So right now we're in September. And so September, we're talking about intentionality in our creative practice. So all of my blog posts will be focused on that, will be focused on intentionality and how we can implement that into our creative practice, issues that I'm personally having with intentionality so that I can hold myself accountable to, um, that kind of content. And then I also do like in some of my higher tiers, we have more maker affirmations. So you get more of those same video content that you would get um, for free once a month on Instagram. You receive more of them on Patreon, plus motivational challenges where we do like a worksheet type of activity to help us get going. And then we have um, transformational Q&As where you can come and ask me any question that you're struggling with in your creative journey. It sounds just magical. In fact, I'm, I'm going to sign up after we finish this conversation. <laughs> I need to be there. And how have you found the act of like promoting and selling it? Has that been comfortable? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> uh, I don't think that I'm that human um, that enjoys selling. I know some people do. Um, but I think that what I found really interesting is that when I have purposefully tried to sell the thing, Um, I don't really receive as much uh, engagement back from that. Mm -hmm. But when I have just naturally been talking to my followers about like, oh, I'm really excited because this month I'm going to do this and this and this and I have all these plans. They pick up on that enthusiasm and they pick up on the truth behind what I'm saying that I am passionate about doing this. And it's almost immediate. I'll get, you know, 
three, four, five new Patreon patrons that day just because they can see the authenticity of that moment. I love so, that. Yeah, me and the salesy stuff, we don't go along very well. well. And it's kind of like, it's a conversation I've been having with a lot of people at the moment. We're enrolling the Institute. So lots of kind of makers have been emailing me going, oh, have a look at my feed. Like, is it appropriate? And so many of them, and probably a lot of people listening, every post is a product that they want to sell that they've made. And they're beautiful and they're beautifully shot. But the thing I keep replying back to all of these emails is like, you could show so much more of the incidental stuff around you and not feel like you having to work as hard to sell and you probably create so much more enthusiasm about your product like the mess and the behind the scenes and the work in progress and the one that went wrong and the stuff you see in your daily life that inspires you like all of that is so easy and natural to talk about and bonus is actually like the thing that makes people connect to your work long term. I totally agree with that. And I think part of it comes down to this self-confidence conversation that people don't think that they think that their followers are just there to see the finished product. When I think in reality, we're all looking for connection with the human behind the product and people don't want to let themselves see that. They're like, they must be here just for that thing that I made, not for me. When the truth is, is like, they want to connect with you. You're so right. Like it is, it is the human. And I always just assume everyone knows that, but I think you're right. It is, it's easy to hide behind the product and think that that is more worthy than we as a messy, flawed, complex human are. Yes. Yes. And I mean, you say it so beautifully all the time, both on this podcast and on Letters from a Hopeful Creative, that you it's almost like therapy for yourself you have to (laughs) learn to love yourself enough to put yourself out there and let them see all of you or at least as much as you're willing to share (laughs) yeah yeah that's true you don't have to show everything and then it just gives you so many more directions to go in because if you are sharing like whatever's causing you to feel enthusiastic in your working life if your enthusiasm suddenly goes down a rabbit hole and you start doing something different they're ready to come along on the journey with you because your enthusiasm is kind of the thing they're there for. Right. They see the whole progression. They saw you see the squirrel. They saw you look <laughs> yes. at the squirrel. They saw you run after the squirrel. Like <laughs> they saw the whole thing happen. Like my squirrel is currently this French house I've seen that it's a wreck and I wasn't going to buy a French house. And all of a sudden I'm obsessed with it and I'm like, I'm going to buy it. I'm going to Instagram it. I'm going to rebuild it. <laughs> I don't know what's going to happen. You shouldn't have told me that because I'm an enabler and I love French houses. So, (laughs) Well, we'll do a workshop there together once it's bought and it's like got sewage systems. We'll we'll have to host something there. Deal. I'm coming. (laughs) Awesome. I'll let everyone know once we're there. (laughs) One other thing I really wanted to ask you about, and I think this is purely like just hoping you've got some insight for me. Parenting and creativity. How do we, what do we teach our children about creativity to maybe try and give them, I don't know, not quite as many hangups about it as we seem to have acquired along the way? Right. Um, This has been a really interesting um, battle for myself. For for anyone who is not familiar with me, I am the mother of four children from ages 10 to 2. And they Um, are like the cutest children I I don't know how how you've done this they are the cutest children they're so bad though (laughs) (laughs) I think that makes me love them even more 
They're so bad. That little one is terrible. Her favorite thing now is, I didn't. (laughs) Did you break that? I didn't. (laughs) Brilliant. Oh, they're terrible. Um, So I think that for me, I've really been, because of my upbringing, I really have been very intentional about how I, how I use my creativity in our family setting. I want my children to actively see what I'm doing and I want them to actively be a part of it and choose to opt in and opt out whenever they want. So if I am sewing something and my six-year-old daughter comes up to me and says, mommy, can I help you sew? There's almost always a yes. It might not be right now. Mm -hmm. I can't let you do this part because this part sucks and mommy's probably going to mess it up. (laughs) (laughs) But this next part is easy and I'll absolutely let you participate in that. And I feel like for me, I'm I'm trying to create this environment where they're not because I because I don't feel let me preface it this way. I don't feel that it's healthy to pressure your kids to be creative in the Mm. same way I don't feel like it's healthy to pressure your kid to be a football player or anything else in life yeah they have to make those choices on their own so I think that what I'm trying to do is create an environment and where they can feel free to opt in and opt out whenever they'd like and so they can kind of discover what their own motivations are and what they feel most drawn to creatively because I'll have one child that if I am writing, they will take a piece of paper and sit down next to me and start writing. I have another child that if I am knitting something, that is like her sign. I am sitting in your lap just so that I can watch you knit and also make you have like chicken wing arms. While you're doing <laughs> yeah, and an RSI <laughs> injury by the time you're done. <laughs> exactly. You need tendonitis. Let me, let me just help you along. Um, so it's kind of interesting to watch their little brains kind of wrap around what creativity means to them but all my kids will all dabble in all of the things I just don't pressure them to pick anything or put more more emphasis on one thing than the other because I don't think that I can go out there on Instagram and say all of your making is worthy and then come back home and be like, oh no, you must sew. (laughs) Yes, it's just sewing hour. Get out your sewing. Yeah. Get out your sewing. Let's go. (laughs) Which is kind of, do you know, I tried to do that with the homeschooling when we first went into lockdown. I was like, oh, we'll have like this afternoon will be craft afternoon and this afternoon will be baking afternoon. And to me, it felt wonderful. And I was like, oh, this is going to be so fun. But all I just felt so it took all the joy out of it and these things that used to be things that she would just jump at the chance to do with me you know on a Saturday afternoon if I said shall we bake she'd be thrilled she was just really resistant to doing because they felt like they were expected I suppose yeah I think that organic part of it is what they gravitate towards at least for my kids they they want to feel like mommy is doing something and I'm included in her grown-up stuff that she's doing that I also think is cool. They want that kind of pairing of the three things. It makes me think of um, All is in a Steiner School, which is kind of based on some some principles that I I don't, they're a bit strange and woo-woo to me. Some of them I align with more, but one of the things that, (laughs) no offense to anyone listening who's deeply Steiner, um, one of the things that they recommend or they kind of encourage families to do is they want 
the children to see you doing what they call handcraft or handwork at home a few times a week. And it is like deeply privileged, like the idea that every family is able to just sit around and doing craft and handwork at home on their own, like for pleasure is not the reality of so many people. But I can see the principle of that being effective because our children do what they see us do. Yes. Yes. I, uh, cause I, I try to think about now, like growing up, I didn't necessarily see a lot of people cooking with pleasure, but I remember like, as I would go to visit my family in Puerto Rico, there was a huge culture of cooking with pleasure and being happy to cook and happy to feed people. And I always remember coming back from Puerto Rico more impassioned to want to cook. So I can totally see that kind of connection of if they see you doing it, if you're modeling it for them. And that's kind of part of the reason why I started the Patreon page too, was that I wanted to model to my kids that this this creative thing that you see mommy on her phone doing all the time, (laughs) it has it has worth beyond just what I think is my self-worth. It can be Profitable is a weird word, but I wanted them to see that they can use creativity to be financially viable also. Right, which is the message your parents, it sounds like, didn't get, so couldn't give to you. Right, right. And it's so interesting because now now my mom is thrilled, you know? <laughs> she just, she, I think it was beyond her wildest imagination. And she's such a creative human too, my father too, in very vastly different ways. Um, so now for them to be like, you had your article published where? <laughs> Love it. They just, they're really, really thrilled, I think, to be on this ride that was like beyond their wildest imagination. Oh, I love that. That makes me so happy. Yeah. Marissa, where can people find more of your work online and get involved? Sure. You can find me at, at Marissa Maid on Instagram. That's M A R. E-S-S-A. And you can also find me under the same name, Marissa Maid, on Patreon. Wonderful. Thank you so much. Show notes for this episode are at meandorla.co.uk forward slash podcast 92. I so hope that you love this conversation just as much as I did. And if you did and you can spare a moment, please do hop over to Instagram and give Marissa some beautiful digital love. She's at, at Marissa Maid, and I promise her post will be a blessing to your home feed, so she's well worth a follow. And if you're curious at all about my Instagram class that we mentioned a little bit in this episode, you can find all the details linked in the show notes, which will appear at the link I mentioned, or should just appear in your podcast app. I hope you have an awesome week, and I will talk to you very soon.